to uh, not give a shear, but to give a uh, history and current events talk. Um, I once was asked to do that. Uh, Rabbi Malonchik uh, asked me if I'm going to do that again. I'm not going to, but I'll tell you. I once, uh, when we were, I was still raising funds for my yeshiva, so I had the opportunity of speaking in a very hush of a shul in the five towns. And uh, it was very, very good for fundraising. And I was supposed to speak there Friday night with one condition, that I would speak on the topic that they gave me. What was the topic? Rabbi Kahana and the Jewish underground. <laughs> they wanted something controversial, that no matter what I said, somebody would be out to get me. So I said, fine. Uh, if you give me a chance to speak Friday night and I have a chance to have an in the community, I'm willing to, to do that. And I got up and I said, I promise to speak about Rabbi Kahana and the Jewish underground. I'll start with speaking a little bit of Kahalmi Kahana, who wrote the Sefer Amitzvah Sakluyos Baaretz, very fine <laughs> Sefer. And a few weeks ago, I was in Haifa in the subway there, which is, uh, and, and that's the Jewish underground. So I finished, I was Yotze speaking about what I said I would speak about, and I'll speak all that I want to speak about. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. I was asked to speak about the Matzah of Eretz Yisrael. But in order to understand the Matzah of Eretz Yisrael, you really have to understand a little bit of Jewish history. The modern Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael, modern meaning basically in the last 300 years, was established by two Gedolei Yisrael, that you have to hold at least of one of them. Most people hold of two of them, but at least one, the Baal Shem Tov and the Vilnigo. <laughs> Both of them wanted to settle in Eretz Israel in the end of their lives, and both of them were prevented from doing so from circumstances beyond their control. But they sent their Talmidim. The Vilnigo sent his Talmidim, who basically settled around Yerushalayim and in Hebron, and um, the Baal Shem Tov's Talmidim, Hasidim, settled around Tzvash, Tveria, that area. And they built up a Yishuv. There was no other Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael at the time. Nobody was going to Eretz Yisrael. They went with the feeling that if, if Tzadikim go, and the Mekai and the Mitzvah so it would help to bring Mashiach. And um, then there was a, um, an organization formed with the uh, approval of some Gedolei Israel, including the Nitziv, called Chovavei Tzion. And Chovavei Tzion had its intention of making it possible for more people to go and circle in Eretz Israel and be Mekayim the Mitzvah Akluyos Ba'aretz. That was the intention. Towards the end of the 1800s, uh, Theodore Herzl, who was a uh, Viennese journalist, who was very much troubled by the fact that Jews suffered in the world from anti-Semitism. He was the brunt of anti-Semitism in his life a very little bit. It wasn't so much a personal thing, but it bothered him that he didn't suffer. And I'm sure 
מן הקודש ברוך הוא מקפח שחר כל דריה, that somebody who feels the pain of כלל ישראל and wants to do something about it gets שחר, but his solutions were horrendous. And I would imagine that for that he's not getting שחר. His first solution, so he wanted to solve the problem of anti-Semitism. That was his goal. His first solution when he was a younger man was, and he wrote in his diary, that he reasoned that people hate Yidin because they're Jews. So if all Jews would become not Jews, so then there would be no anti-Semites, because if there's no Semites, there can't be anti-Semites, which was reasonable. So he wrote in his diary that the proudest day he can imagine is the day that his shtetl uh, uh, will march to the Catholic Church with the priest and all be baptized. And that will solve, and then others will follow suit, and that will solve anti-Semitism. After the Dreyfus trial, after the Dreyfus trial, Dreyfus was an uh, officer in the French army, a totally assimilated Jew, no shaykhs to Yiddishkeit, except for the fact that he was born Jewish. And uh, he was accused of being a spy on trumped-up charges, purely from anti-Semitism. And when Herzl saw that, he realized that his solution wouldn't work. Here's a totally assimilated Jew, no shaykhs to, to religion, and they hate him also. So he came up with another idea. He said that The reason Goyim hate us is because we're not normal. We live in other people's lands and we speak other people's languages and we enjoy their economies. And if we'd only be a normal people with our own land and our own language and our own economy and subsequent uh, secular Zionist figures wrote and our own criminals and our own perverts, that's what Achad HaOm wrote, So then we'd be a normal people, and they wouldn't hate us more than they hate each other. So we wouldn't be the brunt of any special anti-Semitism. So he created the secular Zionist movement, whose purpose was to secure a place in the world. The most logical place was Eretz Israel, since historically we had a place like that before. But it wasn't Tafke, it wasn't had nothing to do with Eretz Yisrael per se. Right? It had to be a place where Jews would have a country of their own so we could be normal people. What that meant to Herzl, what it meant to be a normal person, well, it was not clear what kind of state that would be, what kind of country that would be religiously. Herzl was a totally assimilated Jew, who was born into a totally assimilated family where they had a Christmas tree on, on Kratzmich. And um, you can't blame him for not knowing too much about Yiddishkeit. But he was ambivalent to it in the beginning. And he just wanted to have a normal state. That state could have been uh, at one point in Uganda because uh, when the early heads of the secular Zionist movement, the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, uh, went to see Eretz Yisrael, they were very not happy with what they saw. The climate they didn't like, and the land was desolate, and uh, was, was run by all these religious Jews, and um, it, the chances of getting it anyway were very, very remote. 
So the English government offered them Uganda to be the place where the Jews could create a country of their own, either temporarily until Eretz Israel became available, or permanently. And a minority, but a good minority of the movement said, let's take it. So we could have been as normal as Idi Amin in Uganda, right, and have our own country or whatever. It wasn't Eretz Israel. It was normalcy in a country. Um, Herzl was very much, in the beginning, influenced by the Russian Maskelim. The Russian Maskelim had tried very hard to uh, change Yiddishkeit into a secular uh, nation and um, in Europe, and in many places they were successful, and in many places they weren't because the establishment in Eretz Israel um, was basically in the hands of Frumi Yidin for hundreds of years. So it was very hard to change the establishment. And they saw this as a tremendous opportunity. If Herzl would be successful and be able to secure a political entity in Eretz Israel, and there on the ground level, they could have a tremendous influence on what this country would be like. And uh, there, there's no, uh, there was no establishment. So we'll make it into a secular country. And we will change the face of Yidden to be secular Yidden, not, not religious Yidden, where what would be the identifying mark of a Jew, and this is also Achad wrote, would be nationalism. That if you're a patriot to the Jewish state, you're a good Jew, even if you happen to be a Christian. And if you're a religious Jew and you're not a good patriot, you're not a good Jew. That's the definition of a Jew, which in itself is apicorsis. Because Rapsadigon said, Ainu Masenu Uma What makes us a nation is Torah. Torah defines what the nation of Cloud Israel is, not nationalism. And um, uh, someone who thinks that that nationalism creates the identity of the Jewish people, and this became a big prep, a big child. Ben Gurion wrote to I don't know how many tens of of scholars all over the world. Right to define for him what is a Jew, to see what what Taka defines a Jew. But Rabbi says what defines a Jew is a Torah. You can be born a Catholic, a Muslim, and if you convert al pi halacha, you're a fine Jew. And if you're a mummer, right, born to ten generations of rabbonim, and you're a mummer, so you're still a Jew. But you lose your benefits of being a Jew. And if you shecht an animal, it's strafe. And if you touch wine, it's usher. So what defines a Jew is Torah. Not nationalism. Not what kind of patriot you are to the Jewish country, which didn't exist then anyway. In any case, so in the beginning, the secular Zionist movement um, was ambivalent to religion. And all they wanted was to create a political entity in Eretz Yisrael. Many Frumi Yidin Rabbonim joined the organization. What could be wrong of setting up a, a Jewish state in Eretz Yisrael when the conditions in Europe were horrendous? And here we'd have our own state or whatever. Um, but, like I said, the Russian 
Mashkilim had a very, very strong hashpa on Herzl. And way, right on in the Zionist Congresses in the early uh, 1900s, they had the following debate, whether Zionism would relegate itself only to creating a political entity in Eretz Israel, but what the nature and character of that entity would be is not their business. It's a business of Rabbonim, of Mechanchim. They'll fight it out and decide what it's going to be. Or no, the Zionist movement would be involved in culture and education. In other words, they would form the character of that state. And obviously, since the majority of the people who are running it were secularists, were the Russian Maskilim, that's what their dream was, to have a secular state. And they influenced Herzl a lot. Eventually he wrote that in this new state there'll be secular marriage and we'll build a, uh, a what's it called, a museum called the Beis HaMikdash to the past, not because that's what we want, but because people should see what the past of the Jewish people were. And we'll lock the rabbis in their in their synagogues, and make sure they have no hashpa on the country. So that became a tremendous debate. Obviously, the Fruma people who were part of the organization didn't want that. They didn't want the Zionist movement to be involved in education and culture. And the secularists, that's what they wanted. And this was debated over a few Zionist congresses. While this was going on in 1912, I think, in one of the Fruma publications, who happens to be called Hapelis, we have no connection to the palace today, except maybe that the name has a connection. But the, a Choshev Arov wrote the following. He said, if the Zionist movement is going to continue to push to be involved in culture and education and not relegate themselves just to getting a place in Eretz Israel where Yidden can have a, a political entity then we Rabbanim are have to, going to have to um, totally put the whole union of Eretz Yisrael on a back burner and de-emphasize the importance of Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because there's a precedent. So when the early Christians said that the only thing in the Torah that's relevant is the Aseris Adibros, so even though in Bayes Rishon they used to say Birchus Kriyishma, Kriyishma, and in those birchas kriyashma, they also said the aseris adibros. So they took it out, took it out, and they asked it, it's it to say the aseris adibros in Davani. Why? Because since the Christians are saying that the only thing relevant is aseris adibros, there's something special about the aseris adibros, right? And we're saying every day as part of birchas kriyashma, we give the impression that there's something special about aseris adibros. When the Rambam says that there's no difference between Anochi Hashem Elokecha and Tim Nahoysa Pilegesh, right? Every single oath in the Torah is equal Kedusha. So uh, they had to de emphasize the importance of the Aseris Hadibros in the eyes of people that shouldn't be at all. The Rambam had tackles, you're not allowed to stand up for the Aseris Hadibros if you don't stand up for the whole, for the same reason. And uh, so this Rav said, we're going to have to do the same thing. Since the secular Zionists are now saying that the only thing that identifies a Jew is living in Eretz Israel and speaking Lashon HaKodesh, speaking Hebrew, so we're going to have to de-emphasize and put Eretz Israel on a back burner 
because otherwise people are going to think, see, the Rabbanim also think Eretz Israel is something that identifies a Jew. Not Torah Nitzvahs, but Hebrew and living in a Jewish state. That Rav was not Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld. Surely wasn't the Satmar Rebbe, because he probably was a little boy in short pants at the time. It was Rav Cook. Rav Cook said that. Which means that, that no one disagreed that the secular Zionism with a philosophy and ideology that what identifies a Jew is nationalism is apicursus. How to deal with it, that became a machlokis later on. In any case, eventually the Zionist Congress voted that they should have a connection to education and culture. And at that point, a lot of the Fruma Yidin left the organization and started another organization called the Mizrahi religious Zionists, because they couldn't be part of a, of a, of a organization that had on its flag, right, making Jewish people into a secular people. So they became the religious Zionists. They wanted also a state in Eretz Israel, right, but they wanted it to be a Fruma state, uh, Torah Israel and, and, and Eretz Israel, right, that was, that was the goal. Around that same time, another organization started with the backing of the Chafetz Chaim and the Ger Rebbe and the Rabbonim of Germany, which was Agudas Yisrael. Lugabe, Eretz Yisrael, there were many differences between the Mizrahi and the Aguda, but Lugabe, Eretz Yisrael, the major differences were the following. The Mizrahi held, based, based on some of the Rabbonim who formed Chovavet Zion before them, they held that Mashiach is going to come in two stages. One, which Chazal called Mashiach ben Yosef, not necessarily a person called Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef, but uh, Mashiach ben Yosef means a political redemption from the nations of the world, which we do on our own. We redeem ourselves politically from the nations of the world, and that sets Geula, into motion, and then the Rabbanu Shalom will send Mashiach ben David and redeem us. And, um, and that's a necessity, that there be these two, two things. And they, they based it on human Rashim, one that says that just like the Geula, just like the Shachar, Geula Israel is compared to the dawn. Just like the dawn comes slowly, so to the Geula is a slow process. That's how they learned. I heard from Moshe Feinstein personally. Not personally. I was at a convention and he spoke. And I was sitting in the front row. He said that that union of, uh, of Reish's, Micha's, Geula, saying it was a toast. So there's not, no, no such thing. Geula starts when Mashiach comes. Right? I said it's a slow process because the Rambam says it's possible for somebody to come and claim to be Mashiach, and if he has all the credentials, you have to assume he's Mashiach. How do you know if he's Mashiach or not, says the Rambam? So it could take years. But he has to do three things in order to prove he's Mashiach. <coughs> One is to um, conquer all the enemies around Eretz Yisrael, bring all Jews back to Eretz Yisrael, and build the Beis HaMikdash, Bin Komo. Build it in its proper place. And if he does all those three things, he's Mashiach. And if he doesn't do those three things, and he dies before, 
The Rambam says he's killed before in wars or whatever. He's not Mashiach. What is he? He's called Malchai Yisrael Haksherin. And the Rabbanishim put him up to be a Nisoyan for Klal Yisrael. Okay. So um, that Rav Moshe held was what it means that Mashiach comes slowly. Not builds up to Mashiach, but from the time that someone comes and claims to be Mashiach, it's a slow process until he proves himself to do what Mashiach is supposed to do. Whatever. <coughs> so that was one difference. The Aguda <coughs> did not hold of this Indian of uh, having to... Uh, to redeem oneself, uh, redeem Cloud Israel politically before Mashiach comes. And there was a faction in the Agudu held its also to do that. That's called Yalu Bechoma. He took a Shvua to Biochel. When he went into Gaula, so he wouldn't take back Eretz Israel en masse by force. And they held force means political force, physical force, doesn't make a difference. Klai Yisrael go en masse to Eretz Yisrael <coughs> The Munkach Rebbe held like that and others. Um, majority of Gedola Yisrael, including the Orsameach, said that if the nations of the world give us permission to go back to Eretz Yisrael, then it's like Bayesheni. They also had permission from the Persians. That's okay. So that was a, a machlokus within the Aguda. But that was a major difference between the Aguda and the Mizrahi if it's necessary to have a state. And the Aguda held, according to some, it's Osir. And according to some, it's Mutter, but it's not a necessity. You can settle Eretz Israel under the Jordanians or whatever if we can work out a, a deal with them. The second <coughs> difference was that the Mizrahi held that that was the major issue facing Cloud Israel at the time, to get a state, to, to see the, the fulfillment of the Zionist dream. But not for the same reason why the Zionists are doing it. And that was the third difference. And the, the, the Aguda held the major problem facing Jewry at the time was the Kiyum of the Yeshivas. Because the financial situation in Europe was terrible. And uh, they had to find some way of seeing to it that the Yeshivas could continue. We, we existed 2,000 years without a state. We can't exist one day without the Yeshivas. So that was a, a major issue in Klal Yisrael. And lastly whether um, you could, can, you could um, work together with the secular Zionist movement to get a place in Eretz Yisrael. The Gedolim, Chafetz Chaim, and other Gedolim of the time held that it's not because the people who are in part of the Zionist movement are Rishoyim, but the ideology is Apikorsis. And you can't work together with an ideology that's Apikorsis. And the Mizrahi held, we'll work together them with the thing that we are have in common. We both want a political entity in Eretz Israel and settle Eretz Israel. And uh, we have a machlokus, what that entity is going to be. They want a secular state. We want a state of Pitora. So we'll work on the area that we agree on and we'll argue on the area we argue on, which the Aguda held is absurd. It's like two people want a building. One wants a church and one wants a shul. So we'll build the building, and then we'll decide if it's a church or a shul. That's absurd. Right? It's not the same not the same building. In any case, that's what these two organizations held, and that's what they did. In any case, skipping a lot of things, right? And nothing really happened. Uh, Turkey was in charge of Eretz Israel. They ruled over Eretz Israel until World War I. And the Turks, the way they worked was you bribed them, 
and they gave you what you wanted if they did wanted to. So Herzl raised a lot of money, bribed the Turkish officials to give him a place in Eretz Israel um, to have a Jewish political entity. They took his money gladly and gave him absolutely nothing. And basically he died a broken-hearted person and the organization almost fell apart completely. There were a few charismatic people who kept it alive. Um, World War I changed things drastically. The English government who were on one side of World War I, right? And the Turks were on the other side, amongst others, obviously. And the English government said, we need Jewish money to support the war effort. If you, Zionists, will supply Jewish money for the war effort, in turn, when we win the war, we're on the winning side, we will take the mandate for Palestine away from the Turks, and we'll give you the right to establish a political entity in Eretz Israel. They took up the offer, and the English were on the winning side, and they took the mandate to Palestine. And in 1917, Lord Balfour wrote, gave out his famous Balfour Declaration, which said that His Majesty's government looks favorably on the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. That was it. It didn't say a state. State means that you run it. A homeland, the safari, is the homeland to bears, lions, and tigers. They do not run it. They just live there. So they committed themselves only to a homeland, and they didn't exactly say when or why or what what's it called or if they're surely going to do it. They just said they look favorably on it. And the Jewish world went crazy. People were dancing in the streets as if Mashiach had come. The Chafetz Chaim, they say, when he heard of the Balfour Declaration, cried. And he said, this is what we waited 2,000 years for, for some goy to say that we, he looks, per, uh, uh, um, uh, what's it called, favorably on Jews going back to Eretz Israel. That's, that's what we're rejoicing about. But they say that Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld was extremely happy when he heard the Balfour Declaration. And his Talmidim asked him, my high, right? what's the big deal? He said, look, if it hadn't rained for 2,000 years, and there wasn't a cloud in the sky for 2,000 years. And you woke up one morning and it's a little white cloud in the sky, first cloud in 2,000 years. You wouldn't be happy. So nobody's been talking except for us in our davening of going back to Eretz Israel. And now Goyim are talking about Yidin going back to Eretz Israel. Right? It's the first cloud in 2,000 years, something to be happy about. So they both were right. The Chavetz Chaim saw the half a glass of water that was empty, and the Rabbi Yosef Chaim saw the other half that was full. In any case, uh, then they, uh, they gave over to the Zionist movement, secular Zionist what movement. What part of that glass is full? What? What part of that glass is full? The part of the glass was closed, what Rabbi Yosef Chaim felt that. For 2,000 years, nobody in the world is talking about Claudius or going back to Eretz Israel, and now all of a sudden the Goyim are talking about it. Right? It's something that shows that something's changed. That's what he said. The, um, I, that's not what I said. That's what he said. You can, if you have a question more, you have to ask for Belsen Chaim Zonenfeld. And that's probably also because it's already Shalom Mason. Okay, in any case. The, in any case, the Zionist, uh, the English government right away saw they made a big mistake because the Arabs who happened to live in Eretz Israel at the time 
were not very happy with the Balfour Declaration, to say the least. And uh, they made it clear that they're not going to make it comfortable for Jews from Europe to come to Israel, take away their jobs and their land or whatever, and um, as Arabs do, so they uh, started killing Jews, making pogroms, and the English realized they need Arab oil more than they need Jewish money anymore, right? And uh, therefore, they turned a blind eye on the Arab terror. And uh, the Arabs and the English were hoping that the Jews would get disgusted with Eretz Israel and be afraid and run away and not come and live there or whatever. And this went on until World War II. Till before World War I, the English came out with a white paper that basically erased the Balfour Declaration and there's only World War II that made a very big change. Because before World War II, when Hitler came to power, and surely after World War II, when there were survivors from the concentration camps, they had nowhere to go in the world. No country, with very few exceptions, would take in Yidden. Yidden, who tried to escape Hitler, went around the world. Famous uh, books written about it. And uh, no, no port would take them in until they had to come back and were sent to concentration camps. After the war, Ayid could not go back to the Ukraine, to Lithuania or whatever, because the Goyim, right, Lithuanians, the Polacks, the, the Ukrainians were worse anti-Semites than the, the Nazis sometimes. They took over Jewish property, and if Ayid came back to claim his house, he was summarily mur murdered. There's no place to go. So... Uh, they tried to get to Eretz Israel, and the English kept them out. And if they didn't sink the boats that came, they sent them to Cyprus to DP camps, displaced person camps, with the intention of sending them back to, to, to Europe, to their death. So it became a matter of Pikuach Nefesh. So the newly formed United Nations set up a commission called the Peel Commission, by its head, to decide what to do with the Arab and the, not Israeli, the Arab and Jewish problem in Palestine. And uh, they had to interview every single Arab group and Jewish group. And the Aguda realized that if they go before the United Nations Commission and they say, we don't want a state, we're not interested in a state, they'll use that, that there shouldn't be a state. And here was an Indian of Pikuach Nefesh. So they told Ben-Gurion, we're willing to go before the United Nations and say we also want a state, with one condition, that if you are successful and have a state, that there is a status quo of religiosity of the state that's no different than it was under the English. That means that the powers to be in Eretz Israel will conform to having Shabbos publicly, no buses running on Shabbos, uh, that in all of the government institutions, everything is kosher, and so on. That was called the status quo, and Ben-Gurion agreed to it. And uh, the United Nations in 1947, I think November 27th, so they voted to partition Palestine. There'll be a small section given to the Jewish and a larger section that surrounded that small section given to the Arabs, with the hope that if both of them accepted it, within a few days the Arabs would overrun the Jews, throw them into the sea, and the problem would be solved. That was behind the scenes. 
That was the, the partition. The Arabs, as Arabs, right, shot themselves in the foot and refused to accept it. And they said that uh, if the Jews declare a state in the portion the United Nations gave them, we declare war. On that day, five Arab nations will overrun that Jewish state and throw them all into the sea. That's what they said openly. Yidin had a tremendous shiloh whether to declare a state or not. First of all, if they declare a state, there's a war. They don't declare the state and they live under the English. There are many Yidin that are in danger of being sent back to Europe. Besides the fact that there was the Shalolishma uh, of wanting a Jewish state. So the Zionist organization debated whether yes or not. And they had from November, the end of November 1947 till May 15th, 1948, to make up their mind. That was the day that the mandate of the English ended in Palestine. And either they had to say, we want the English to remain, or we're going to make a state and go home and we'll take care of ourselves. And um, they decided that they're going to declare a state. And really, it should have been declared on May 15th, which was Vav Ir, it was a Shabbos. And Ben-Gurion realized that it was not a good thing, right, logistically, to declare the state on Shabbos. So he preempted the, the um, announcement to Friday, May 14th, which was Heir. That was Yom Ma'ut. The original government, now there were three different shittas, how to deal with that state. The Mizrahi, I'm talking about religious Jews. The secular Zionists obviously uh, were very happy of seeing the fruition of uh, their dream. The Mizrahi held, this is the beginning of Geula. This is Reishat Smichas Gula Sein. Geula has started. We set up a, a uh, Jewish uh, entity, political entity in Eretz Israel. That's Mashiach ben Yosef. We've created the beginning of Geula. So obviously they celebrated. The faction in the Aguda that held that it's usher to make a state before, even if it's only with political force, that's called Yalu Bechoma, which pushes away Mashiach. So they sat on the floor and said, Eichen Kinos, for this terrible uh, tzara that happened. And the majority of the Aguda was ambivalent. It's not racist, Michus Gulasenu, but Lamaisa, right? It's saving Jewish lives and uh, we'll make the best of it. So Gedolei Yisrael, including the Chazonish and, the, and others, um, said that the only way to deal with a state is different than dealing with an ideology. The Gedolim of the previous generation said you couldn't cooperate with the secular Zionist movement because it's an ideology of apicursus. But a state is not an ideology. A state is pariv. A state that's democratic is run by the people who are voted in. And the people who voted in are voted in by people who vote. So if you don't vote and you have nothing to do with the government, you're basically handing the state over into the hands of Apikorsum that will be run like an Apikorsus. So they held some mitzvah to be involved. The Aguda was part of the government, the first government. There were representatives of the Aguda. They signed on the Declaration of Independence, which... By the way, they argued seven hours. The wording of the declaration in the American Declaration of Independence mentions God's name. 
but they argued seven hours whether to mention the Rabbanisham's name in the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel. And in the end, they came up with a pshora. They're not going to mention the Rabbanisham's name. They're going to say, Be'ezra, Suri Yisrael, the Go'alo. The secular said, Suri Yisrael, the Go'alo, means the, um, the uh, power of Jewish history. <coughs> That's how they translated that word. And the Fruma said, that means the Rabbanisham. So everybody got what they wanted according to what they what they held. And um, in any case, so the Aguda was part of the government. Until this day, they hold some mitzvah to vote. They even send Yeshiva Bochran to bring out the vote, right? And the Rav Shach and the, the what's it called, the Chazon Ish held that that's, that's how you deal with a state. Different than Ruben Grozovsky was the Yoshev Rosh, of the Moetzis Gedolia Torah at the time, he wrote a sefer, Bo'ayos Hazman, and in there he reiterates this shita. On the other hand, uh, those that split away from the Aguda, which became the uh, Ede Charedes and the Nature Karta, they held that it's Osir to be involved in the state, because the state represents Klal Yisrael wrongly and claims to be Yisrael when it's a state run Shaloh Pitora, in fact, anti-Torah at the time for sure, and uh, therefore, what's it called? You can't have anything to do with it. We're not leaving Eretz Yisrael, living here under protest. We don't cooperate with the government. We don't take from the government, and that's it. Okay, those are the three sheets. When the state was formed, though, those who were in charge were the communist, socialist, Russian, basically. Mapai, and uh, they envisioned a state that would be totally, totally secular. And uh, Ben-Gurion said, we'll give in to the religious now, but in two, three generations, there won't be a Frumayid left. There you are, uh, what's it called, uh, an acronism, and they're from the past, and we're going to create a new Jew in a new country. There'll be Israelis, not Jews, and... Uh, Religion is not any more part of what Yiddishkeit is. That's what their hope was. And they were the ones who ran the state. Now, everything I've said till now was just a hagdoma. <laughs> <laughs> now it comes, and this is going to be much, much shorter. So when the state was formed, the ones who ran it, Mamish, in every area, they ran the media, they ran the uh, judiciary, and they ran the government. It was basically uh, mostly anti-religious, not just not religious, anti-religious, with the, with the express purpose of creating a new Jew in a new land, right? Israelis, not, not necessarily anything to do with Torah. And we'll, we'll uh, what's it called, you know, put up with these from the Jews for a generation or two until they disappear. And that's the way it was. For many, many years, every election, the Mapai was the uh, winner of the election, and they ran the country until, I remember, with 1970-something, when Begin was voted in. And uh, all of a sudden, they lost control of the country, government-wise. And it's been decreasing every year. Those who are the remnants of Mapai don't cannot exist anymore in the government. They didn't even get in this time. 
the uh, Labour Party, who were the descendants of the Mapai. And subsequent to Begin, pretty much um, right-wing governments who represent more the uh, Mizrahi um, religious Zionists, or at least Zionists who want a, 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 a Jewish state, not a secular state, right, are the ones who are running the country. But they never bother to really run the country. Because in order to run the country, you have to also run the media, and you have to run the judiciary, and the leftists remain the power to be in both of those areas. And uh, I don't remember when exactly, but in the 1980s, Aaron Barak became the head of the uh, Supreme Court, and he created a new shita that every single thing in politics is can be judged by the Supreme Court. And they have the final word in everything. And that way the leftists felt that they still controlled the country because they control the Supreme Court. And the way that they made up who can become a judge in the Supreme Court was done in such a way that it was almost impossible for anybody who was from to get onto the Supreme Court, surely not a majority of people, a very small minority, if at all. And the way that the judges were elected uh, was done to preserve that, that, that to preserve that they came only from the leftist secularist camp, and then they decided that they can knock down laws of the government, right? If they see that they're not uh, not um, severe, they're not um, they don't they don't uh, seem to be make sense or or uh, whatever, and uh, based on their whims. And that's what happened. And basically, they were all leftists who were secularists. So they fought with the religious Zionists, right? And anything that the the right wanted to do, right, they made sure to obliterate. And surely they went against the Haredim, right, to make sure that anything, any issue that came up that could could make Eretz Israel, Medina Israel more of a Jewish state. They favored the Arabs over Jews, surely over Haredim or whatever. And that's where all the issues came of Gius, right? That Ben-Gurion agreed that uh, Yeshiva light should be exempt from the army, right? That became a, an issue and many, many other issues. And uh, finally, this government, they said no more. We're not, uh, we're not giving over the shlita of the government to the Supreme Court, right? And there's no more government or whatever. And uh, they got in with a nice majority and they decided that they're going to make laws that limit the power of the Supreme Court. Not to make uh, Medina Israel a dictatorship. It's not, not the, the issue is so clouded by the media who are run by the leftists and by leftist anarchists, right, who are supported by, by monies from Chutzlaritz, and they made all these havganot, all these protests or whatever, that Shalom, you know, the democracy, the, the last thing they want is democracy. What they want is a country that's run by leftists 
And if they can't get in because the majority of the country doesn't want them, right, then they'll get in through the back door by controlling the media still and by controlling the judiciary. And the, the government said it's not going to give them to that anymore. We want a real democracy where at least people have a chance of, of the majority of the people saying what they want through their elected officials. And that's mamish what's going on. But, the, you know, when it says before the Sutton is destroyed, gives his last, what's it called, push. That's what's going on now. Like this is a Mashiach. Right. Sutton has a tremendous power now with all the, with all the uh, technology or whatever, right? Uh, that things that a person couldn't dream of doing right now is in his pocket or whatever. So uh, uh, the Sutton's giving his last bit, like a candle. Before it goes out, it gives another spurt. That's what's happening here also. These uh, secularists realize that there's a very good chance that their power is going to be taken away, not only in the government, because the majority of people voted for a right-wing government, and the majority of people might not be from, but they want a Jewish state. They don't want uh, a secular state, right? Like like what's going on here in America, right? With the progressive uh, whatever, uh, all the, the Narishka, Narishka, the absurd things that are going on here, Right, uh, she come to Eretz Israel too. So that's what's going on. Right, you, you, people think it's between a dictatorship. Well, all this, that is just a smear's iron. It's just a facade. It's just to cover up the real issue. Who is going to run that country? Right, are the leftist judges the one that are running it, and they have a little club that no one else can get into? Or are we going to change the laws and that's not going to happen? <coughs> and that's why they're resisting it because they know they're losing their control. And if this happens, they're going to lose their control. So uh, that's what this civil war is, is, is all about. So from Yidin, again, if you hold from the Shita of the, of the um, Turekarta, I'm not talking about the Turekarta, people call themselves the Turekarta who are basically English and American, Mishugoyim, who a God will be Israel in the 1960s told someone that if someone could kill this guy who runs the supposed Neture Karta, who the real Neture Karta says they're not part of us, and the Eidah Haredes holds their Echerim, right? They're a bunch of Mishugoyim, the ones who go to the Arabs, what's it called, and go to Iran, they have nothing to do in Torah Karta. They're uh, just a bunch of Mishugoyim, unfortunately. They're Mishugoyim who are very dangerous people. But the real Torah Karta and the real Eide Haredes, they have a Shita, right? It's, it's backed by Gedolei Yisrael, if you hold from that. So all of this is irrelevant to you. But if you hold from the Shita of the Aguda, that you have to be involved in the government, save what you can, right? So then we have to back what the right-wing government is doing, we don't have to be at the forefront because we're just going to generate more sinna for Haredim. Right? In the end, everybody's going to be against us for whatever reason. So they, they, the Gedolim held that, uh, that the Haredish Olam, who are aligned with the Aguda, should back this reform but they shouldn't be in the forefront of being in the Havganot or whatever. 
and uh, the people who want to see a secular state, right, and want to throw out the right wing, um, what's it called, the right wing um, uh, Zionists, right, settlers, settlers. I'm also a settler. The um, and then and everything else, right, and surely the Haredish olam. So uh, they, what's it called, are on the side of seeing to it that this never happens. But it's going to happen. And when it happens, there's going to be a tremendous tension, right? to say a civil war, but there'll be a te- big tension in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, eventually, people's eyes will be open to what the real issues are. And when that happens, uh, there'll be a, a certain calming because the majority of people... Right, are not against having a state that is at least looks like a Jewish state, and the ones, the anarchists and the the total secularists who are against having a Jewish state, they just want a a democratic state, right? And what they hold from dem- democracy means that as long as you follow what I want, that's fine, right? If you want to do something different, that's not democracy. So uh, those who translate democracy and make it into an avodah Bukhanan said that all the isms are avodah as you see it today, that, that people are ready to be most nefesh for democracy, what they think is democracy, which is the opposite. And that's what's going on. So Yidin here in Chutzlaretz have to support at least the fact that they're going crazy of Israel becoming a dictatorship. It's not... Not in the cards. It's not part of the of the of the debate or part of the issue. Nothing to do with it. The question is: Is the state going to be continue to be run by people who don't want a Jewish state, or by people who want a Jewish state? What they consider a Jewish state is not necessarily a Torah state, but at least one that has some kind of character of of Yiddishkeit. That then at least we we have a chance of being mashpia on it to turn it into a real uh, Torah state. Torah and Jewish are don't really necessarily are not the same thing, right? But at least uh, Jewish state, there's a chance to be mashpia more on Yidin who want a Jewish identity but don't really know what it is and could be mushma from, from Torah. That's not only my take, but that's for the anxiety, what's what's going on in Eretz Israel. Okay. Right. Yeah. Is that my right now?